is anybody glad to be in the house of God today? Come on. And can we celebrate? Can we celebrate one more time? 200 baptisms last weekend. Come on. That is incredible. My mind, my mind is still blown as I think about what God has done, and my mind is blown as I consider what God could possibly have in store for us moving forward. I'm, I'd love to just join in a word of prayer together to honor Jesus. Lord, thank you, Jesus, for your presence. Thank you for all of the good things that you've done, are doing, and will do. What an awesome week of celebration we've had, and what an incredible day this is shaping up to be. As we begin in this legacy season to look ahead and to ask you what's more for 2024? What more for 2024 would you call us toward? Who more might we reach and impact? What more might we do to bring help and hope to people who are in desperate need of both? And to you, who alone are able to do immeasurably more than anything we could ever ask, dream, or imagine, according to your power alone that is at work within the church and to you throughout every generation, until you come back for your church, be glory, honor, power, and praise in Jesus' mighty, holy, perfect, matchless, and most powerful name we pray. Everybody in the church said amen, amen. You can go ahead at every location and have a seat. I've, I've often wondered what it might be like if we gathered together were to experience Jesus walking into the room, standing dead smack in the middle of the room, and looking each one of us in the eye like only Jesus would be capable of, and if he were to speak directly to each and every one of us, I, I wonder how might we choose to respond? And then as I got to thinking about that reality, I, I, I came to the realization that he is in the room. Can I get an amen from somebody who knows that Jesus is here by the presence and the power of his Holy Spirit, that he is speaking still today through his spirit and, and through the clarity and the direction of his Word. He is in the house. He is speaking still. He is speaking now. And so I want you to think about that reality as we dive into the Word today. At every location, we welcome you. Polaris, Short North, Hilliard, Whitehall. If you're joining us for the first time, if you're tuned in on television, online, or you're joining us from a prison correctional facility or juvenile detention center. Y'all are family, too, and so we welcome you, and we're glad to worship alongside of you. What will be our response when we hear Jesus speak? Because when Jesus speaks, there is demanded a response. First, we must listen. Then we must act upon what we have heard him say. This is the pattern for following Jesus. And I, I just want to make clear that to not act is to act. To not respond is to respond. Or to disregard what Jesus is saying 
is actually an understandable response because so much of what Jesus says challenges our conventional way of thinking. And so many will just simply choose to push aside, to disregard. And yet to disregard is a response. To ignore what Jesus is saying is a response. Or to think that, that I know better than Jesus, that will most certainly influence my response. So this is where I want our mind to be today. As we have opportunity to listen to, learn from the teaching of Jesus and to respond to his word, beginning with this word from Jesus in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, where Jesus says this, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, this is an easy word. Maybe you've heard this word, but let's be honest. This does sort of run Contrary to the way that the average mind, the normal mind would tend to think, but can we just all agree that there's nothing normal about Jesus, amen? There's, there's nothing ordinary about him, nor is there anything ordinary about the life that he so desperately desires that each of us would live in him, a life that makes a difference for him and by him, a life that makes heaven full. There's nothing ordinary about Jesus, nor the word of Jesus, and I'm pretty sure that if Jesus were standing in the room in physical form, and if he were to look each and every one of us in the eye, and if he were to ask us the question, do you want to be blessed? I think most of us would say, if not everyone would say, I do absolutely want to be blessed by you. Matter of fact, if you are blessed and you know it, say amen. amen. And if you want to be more blessed than you are right now, say amen, amen. amen. I think that's all of us. Amen. We're talking about the blessed life, the best life that is the blessed life and what the blessed life looks like. And Jesus is saying to us, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And, and if you were one to say, I am blessed, amen, and I would like to be more blessed, amen, and amen, according to the word of God, if you want to be more blessed, be a giver, not a keeper, not a taker, be a giver, if you're taking notes, you can write that down. Because it is more blessed, according to Jesus, to give than to receive. So what do we do with that word? How do we respond? Do I push back a little? Like maybe you want to push back a little because it just doesn't quite make sense to you. Do you respond by saying, you know what, Jesus, I like you all and everything. I like most of what you have to say, but this particular message of yours, it's a little too strange. It leans a little too prosperity gospel for me. It might even be backward even because I would assume that if you want more, you would hold on to more. You wouldn't give anything away if you want to be more blessed, more full. That makes sense to me. Or might you respond by saying, all right, Lord, I, I, I hear you, but I, I might just need you to go ahead and break this down for me just a little bit because I'm not quite picking up what you're laying down right now. Anybody say that's me. I'm just not quite sure I understand exactly how this works and what you mean by it is more blessed to give than to receive. I'm all ears. I want to understand. I, I certainly want to follow you. But again, this is so counterintuitive to the way my mind works. This is so counterintuitive to the way that I naturally think. And one thing that I've discovered in following Jesus is that often I have the heart to follow him. 
And last week we talked about the heart of the generous. So often I have the heart to follow him, but I lack the mind to follow through. I don't always have the mind. And if that's you, here's how that sort of looks like as it relates to this. Lord, I want to follow you. I want to do what you say. I want to honor your word. I want to be a generous person. It's not that I don't have the heart to be generous or that I don't have the heart to follow through. But so long as I try to figure this thing out in my mind and make natural sense of a supernatural word and promise of God, my mind has become such a roadblock to the blessing that you desire for me. I might have the heart to follow, but my mind can become the roadblock to the blessing that God desires for me when I need a a natural understanding to a supernatural truth that will never be made real in my life until I learn, until I choose to physically follow through. This is one of those incredible truths from the Lord, that if we would embrace this and live this and let it guide our decision-making, not only would it, would it change our lives individually, it would transform your own life individually, but it would change and transform the world and all the people around you. Because we are blessed to be a blessing. If I could wrap my mind around Proverbs 22, 9, that he who is generous will be blessed. If I could wrap my mind around Proverbs chapter 11, that that one person gives freely, he has to give, he does give, yet he gains even more, while another withholds unduly, which means he has to give, but he holds on to it, and this man comes to poverty. I think about all the wealthy, successful people in the world who have full bank accounts, but maybe you're watching online right now from an office that you're sitting in all by yourself and your family's a wreck. You don't want to go home to the mess that you've made of your home because you've neglected your home. There's not peace in your heart like you thought there would be. There's not joy in your life like you thought there would be. And that's because nothing gained this side of heaven can give us what only God can give. I think of all the people in the world who, who literally get to the end of their life or even end their life having gained the world, but they've lost their soul. And it's why Jesus in Matthew 16 says, I need you to get this, that you're not going to gain any, anything by gaining all the riches and wealth of the world if you're going to forfeit your own soul. Like I need you to understand that it is more blessed to give than to receive. That, that if you want to prosper, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And we see this pattern repeated throughout the scripture because the implication of a person who gets this and lives this doesn't just impact the person who gets it. We impact every person we come into contact with. We, we, we impact every person the church touches, amen? amen? But it's a word that we have to learn to put to practice. James 1, 22 warns us, do not merely listen to the word. Don't, don't just hear this word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. This isn't about who wants to be generous or who thinks that they're generous in their own heart. It's about being generous. The generous will prosper. Because again, you might have the heart to follow Jesus. You might have the heart to be generous. But our mind can so often become 
the roadblock as my mind became a roadblock for me this week. I had the heart to work out five days this week. I had the heart. I've, I've put on some summer pounds. And, and so I thought, you know, it might be time to get into tip top Christmas shape. And so I made a plan in my mind to work out five times this week. Let me tell you about the first four days. In the first, four, the first day, my mind convinced my heart that you've not worked out in so long that you might actually hurt yourself and you won't be able to <laughs> preach this week. So you might just need to stay on the couch today. And that was the reason my mind came up with and I believed it. The next day, it was raining outside, and, and I, 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 I said, well, I can't run in the rain. And then I thought, well, you have a treadmill in the basement. Yeah, but I haven't run on the treadmill a lot, and I'm allergic to dust. And if it starts kicking up dust, and it's going to make the run hard. I better just stay home tonight. And then I told my wife, I said, man, I've already, I've already written this message, and I know one of the illustrations I'm going to give. And today, like yesterday, it was a really nice day outside. And I said, I feel like I should work out. I haven't worked out this week, but if I do, it's going to ruin my illustration. So I worked out zero times this week. <laughs> I had the heart to, I have the heart, but I don't always have the mind. It's why in second Corinthians chapter nine, it says this, remember this, like, don't forget it. Don't, don't lose sight of this truth. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And I wonder how many farmers we have in the house. Come on. Can all the farmers and the Dale raise your hands, raise your hands. Come on. Anybody farmer. Oh, we got one right here. Fifth row back farmer. Anybody else got some farmers at the other campus? Raise your hand. Cause every farmer knows this. You, you put a few seed in the ground. You can expect a little harvest. You put a lot of seed in the ground. You can expect a bigger harvest, right? Few seed, Smaller harvest, more seed, greater harvest. And of course, there's this personal benefit. A hundred percent, there's always personal benefit to following Jesus and to honoring his word. But I want you to notice what it goes on to say in verses seven and eight and nine and 11, that God is able to make all grace abound to you personally so that in all things and at all times, you personally have all that you need, that you would personally abound in every good work and that you would be made rich personally in every way. But watch, here's the purpose. Here's the reason. So that on every occasion and in every way, you could be generous and your generosity would then result in thanksgiving to God. Now, most of you aren't going to be able to travel to Central America. You're not going to be able to travel to Asia, the Middle East, into Africa, where we have incredible ministry partners. But I was able to go this year both into Central America to meet with our partners there. And I was able to spend some time with Vinny just a few weeks ago on the front lines with pastors who are preaching the gospel in places that people have never heard the gospel preached. They are planting churches where no other Christian church exists. Many of these pastors bear physical scars on their bodies that prove how difficult it is to be the church in nations where Christianity is illegal, where the gospel is restricted and evangelism is against the law. 
But I'm telling you that when I walk into a room of pastors who are being persecuted, when I walked into the room with the 17 pastors that our church helped to relocate, when I walked into a room with more than 100 pastors who received their full financial support through the generosity of the people of this house, can I just tell you that the praise that I heard in the room, it wasn't just a praise that made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. It was a praise that shook the foundation of heaven. You need to know that there are men and women, families all around the world whose praise is being lifted up to heaven because enough people in this church said, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to honor God with my wealth and I will advance the kingdom of heaven through my generosity. The thanksgiving, the praise that reaches the heavens. Can you imagine? This is a true story from one of our pastors. Can you imagine being a pastor or doing anything? And you come home to a group of men who have raided your house, who have beaten your wife and your children and you see your teenage daughter lying in a pool of her own blood, and these men who just beat her look you in the eye and say, we will not stop until you stop doing what you're doing. Stop preaching the gospel in this town. And then you look your little girl in the eye, and she says, Daddy, don't you ever stop. Don't you ever stop. And people get hissy when we talk about generosity. And that's because you have no idea the impact your generosity is making. Don't you ever stop. Maybe you might not can make it to other parts of the world, but if you were here last weekend, you saw it on the face of every grandparent, parent, spouse, child, friend, as they witnessed their loved ones being water baptized. I could see it on Dan and Brenda Burt's face who are giving thanks to the Lord because of your generosity. They said, we've been able to watch your services on television in Dayton for an entire year, and we drove to Rock City Church in Hilliard this weekend because Dan is being water baptized. I saw it on the face of Emily last weekend who just got out of prison and she said, hey, Pastor Chad, remember when you baptized me in 2019 when I was still in prison and now I'm out and I'm here and we got to be reunited and the joy that was on her face and the joy that was on the face of Joe who spent 25 years in prison and was baptized in our church last weekend. And I'm telling you, if you happen to be in the service that Joe was water baptized, but you didn't see him get out of the water, you heard him. You heard him. The whole town heard him. I think somebody on Twitter said that church is too loud across the street. It wasn't music. It was Joe. <laughs> the laughter that was rolling out of Joe at his baptism was the laughter of a thousand men. I, I couldn't believe what God was doing in his life. And I could go on and on. Church, can we just understand there is no plan B to reach the world for Jesus. The church is it. 
He tapped us. He said, now you go and do. You preach the gospel to all creation. You baptize every person you come in contact with that says yes to Jesus. You teach them not just part the world, but, but all the word. You teach them everything I taught you. And you, you obey me and you teach them to obey me as well. And I'll tell you, the church that sees the mission through is not a church that sits on its hands and keeps what it has to itself, but a church that is generous will accomplish the mission that we've been given God by God to accomplish the mission of making heaven full. But we've, we've got to not just have this word in our heart. We've got to get it in our mind. We, we have to have our minds made up. So let me share with you three mindsets that are in the church today. Three mindsets that are in the church. And I want you to kind of think about what mindset might I be living with. The first of the three is the bag mindset. The bag mindset says I don't have enough to give. I would give if I could give, but I don't have enough to give. I want to be generous. It's in my heart to be. I just can't be as generous as I want to be because I don't have enough to give. And if you're not sure if that's you, just see if Haggai chapter one, verse six might describe the life that you're living right now. I'm going to read this verse to you. Tell me if it describes you, that you eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're never warm. You're not satisfied. You earn wages only to put your wages in a bag with holes in it. I go to work. I work hard. My money goes into my bank account and then I pay my bills. And then at the end of the month, I'm spent. And every time I've managed to get just a little bit ahead, something breaks, something needs fixing. And the first thing you're going to convince yourself of, if this is the mindset that you're living with, the first thing you're going to convince yourself of in your mind is that, Pastor Chad, this isn't a mindset. It's my reality. This isn't a mindset. It's my reality. You don't understand my situation. I, I want to be. It's not that I, I want to be. Matter of fact, some people who live with this mindset actually use the language of we in the church when it's not actually we doing the work. And I would just encourage you, if you're like, I love what we're doing. I love how generous the church is. Man, I, I love all the things that we got to accomplish. If it's really not we, go ahead and celebrate the people around you, but don't convince yourself in your mind or in your heart that this is we if you're not contributing. Now that sounds like a throwdown and I don't mean for it to be. I just want to challenge you. This is the danger of living with the bag mindset because we'll convince ourselves that it's not a mindset, that it's a reality. And we become so convinced that we start using the language of we when it's really not we, but it makes us feel better. Like we're actually a part of something that we're not actually a part of at all. And all we do is consume. We don't contribute. And so the work that's happening through the church, we think, well, look at what, no, it's not we. But can I encourage you to step into what God is doing through the church? Judas lived with the bag mindset. He carried the bag for Jesus. He was the money keeper. And there's a story that Matthew, Mark, and John all included in their gospels of a woman who had lived a very immoral life. And she encounters Jesus and her life is transformed by him. And she takes this expensive bottle of perfume and she pours it out over 
Jesus. And Judas sees what's happening. And he sounds like some people sound like in the church today. He says, what are you doing? Do do you know how wasteful you're being that that we could have sold this bottle of perfume and, and, and given the money to the poor? Had a family leave our church years ago when we were uh, renovating the Dream Center. They left our church because they were upset that, that we put granite countertops in the Dream Center that were donated to the church, by the way. But they were upset because apparently homeless people don't deserve granite countertops in their bathroom. But I can promise you, because I was in their house, there was granite all throughout the house. Judas wasn't upset, really, that the money was being wasted because he had a heart for the poor. He's the one who carried the money bag, and he knew if we sell that bottle of perfume, the bag that I get to carry and be in control of gets a whole lot bigger. Now, it's a, it's a bottle of perfume that I, I, I probably wouldn't have broken out myself over Jesus because I wouldn't have been able to afford it. The Bible talks about how expensive this this bottle of perfume was. It it says that that the bottle of perfume was worth about a year's wage. Come on. So every every morning you slap some of that perfume on your face. It's like hundreds or thousands of dollars. Whatever you make in a year, that's that's a lot of smell to wear around. But he was he was so mad. And it wasn't because he really had a heart for the poor. He was so enamored by money. And if that's, if this, if this is your mindset, let me help you with something. Just know that God is not expecting you to be faithful with what you don't have yet, but hope to have someday. He just is, is, is expecting you to be faithful with what you already have, what he's already put in your hand. Just honor him. Just honor him because we all have something to give. It's a lie to believe otherwise. Second mindset is the basket mindset. And the basket mindset says this, that I, I don't just have something to give. I have more than enough to give. I have more than enough to give. And we see this basket mindset, the language that Jesus uses in Luke chapter six. He he doesn't explicitly use the word basket, but anybody who was living and listening to Jesus teach this message would have understood what he was referring to when Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. But you first have to give, then it will be given a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, those who were listening to Jesus understood what he was talking about. When when workers who were paid to work in a grain field to harvest grain, that they, they would go out into the field, they would have a basket, and each paid worker would in that field harvest grain and fill their basket. But the basket that they filled, they would then have to carry themselves back to the grain house or the storage, the barn where the grain would go. And so they weren't much unlike workers today in most situations where we don't want to work any harder than we have to. And so they certainly weren't pressing down the grain and shaking out the air pockets and putting more grain in and making sure that their basket was overflowing because they didn't have to carry that full and heavy basket all the way back to the storage barn. But once the field was done being harvested, 
Those who were unable to work, those who were living in utter and extreme poverty, they were given the chance to glean over the field and they could take their basket. They didn't know where their next meal was coming from or where their meals next week were coming from or next month. And can I just tell you that their mindset was a lot different than the paid worker because their baskets, they'd fill it, they'd stomp it down, they'd fill it more, they'd shake it up, they'd fill it more, they'd make sure that sucker was overflowing and then whatever it took to carry that thing back to wherever it was they were living. And Jesus is saying, I just want you to know that this is the heart your heavenly father has for each one of you in his desire to bless you, pressed down, shaken together, pouring over. Give and it will be given that way to you. It's the promise of God in Deuteronomy 28. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. It means your family will be blessed. The crops of your land and the young of your livestock, which means your work will be blessed. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and you will be blessed when you go out. It's the little boy in Matthew 14 and a crowd of 5,000 men and, and only God knows how many women and how many children. They only counted the men, so it could have been 10, 15, 20,000 people. But let's just say it's just five. We know it's more than five, but it's just five. And Jesus has been teaching and all these thousands of people have come to hear him teach. And now it's to the point of the day where, where, where it's a long journey home. Everybody's hungry. Jesus says, how about you to his disciples? Go find some food to feed these thousands of people. So they're looking around and they only find one boy who was apparently the only one who came prepared. He's got a few loaves and a few fish. That's all he's got, a sack lunch. And he offers what he has to the disciples. Now put yourself in this story. I'm just thinking if I'm that little boy and I'm looking around and I'm the only one prepared. And I'm not even sure that I have enough for me because I don't know how long this teaching is going to go. I don't know if I'm spending the night tonight and if I need some leftovers for breakfast or for lunch for the way home tomorrow. I'm not sure I even have enough for me. I might just keep that sack lunch tucked under my jacket because I don't want to start a riot. I don't want the family next to me, in front of me, behind me, knowing I've got what they don't have. That, that's just the mindset that most of us would at least be tempted to respond to. But this man, he says, hey, here's what I have. You know what? It's probably not enough to feed all of these people, but, but I'm never going to know if I don't place it into the hands of the only person that I know who can possibly do something with this. He gives his lunch to Jesus. Jesus blesses it, multiplies it. Every single person is fed. And that, after they had their fill, the Bible says there were 12 baskets left over. One for each one of the disciples to carry. Give and it will be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, pouring over. You're not, not even going to know what to do with it. And I'm telling you, who would have never gotten to experience this in their own life? Anybody in that crowd that day. But for one young man to say yes to Jesus. And to look at what he had in his hand, and, and no doubt he must have thought, surely, Lord, this isn't enough, but I have enough. I have more than enough to give to you. I can't do much with this, Lord, but I know who can. I know you can, and so I'm going to trust you with it. And I just want to say to the 
to the person who might be here and you're thinking to yourself, I don't like generosity messages in church. It's one of the topics I wish you would not talk about in church. Matter of fact, I feel like this is just manipulating the church. Can, can I just, in all seriousness, just genuinely, I mean this. If that's what's in your heart, don't give anything. Don't give anything to this church. Matter of fact, I would encourage you to ask the Lord to lead you to a church that you can be planted in, that you wouldn't think that way about the church you're planted in, that you would love the mission of the church, you'd believe in the vision of the church, and you'd be willing to invest in it. Don't, don't stay planted in a house that you don't even like. And I'm telling you, you don't like it if you're not investing in it. So don't, don't stay. Don't stay. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. I just want to set somebody free. If you think, look, it's just what the church needs. It's just that the church needs our money. Read this book. If you haven't gotten one, read this book. I'm, I'm telling you, the vision that God has given this house, the Polaris campus, all the new campuses, the Dream Center outreach, the mission, the shoes that are given at Christmas time, the pastors that we support, God's going to accomplish his vision. He just might not do it through you, but if he doesn't do it through you, he's going to do it through somebody who takes your seat next week. I'm just saying, I'm, I'm not, I'm not telling you this because I, I need you to give so that we can do what God has called us to do. I'm just giving you opportunity to be blessed by God. This isn't my word. It is the word of the Lord. So the question should never be, does the church need my money? That's a dumb question. The question is, am I willing to participate in the work of the church that God has planted me in and to partake of the blessing that God is pouring out in abundance over this house? Because when God blesses a church, the church is the people. So it's not just the organization of the church that is blessed, but the families who are participating get to partake in the blessing. It is, a, it is an abundant blessing that God is pouring out on this church, and I want every person who is a part to experience it. Amen. And there's one more mindset, the barn mindset, which I think sets up this legacy season quite well, because the barn mindset says, I don't just have more than enough, I have infinitely more than enough. Deuteronomy 28.8, the Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land that he has given you. And, and this is the experience of this church in 12 years. And it, 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 it's really, I believe, a response by the Lord to one of the values that we started with. And it's not just that we want to be a generous church, but that we will lead the way in radical generosity because we believe that it is, is better to give than to receive and that it is impossible to outgive God. Amen. It's, a, it's a rock city value that we've lived with for 12 years. And, and again, if you read this report, you'll see it on the very last page that, that in a year that, that we still have a lot of work to do to finish some pretty big and impressive projects. Our facilities cost in year 12 were 5.9% of the budget are beyond our walls, local and global missions and outreach, 21.7% of the budget in year 12. Church, that's some rare air that we get to breathe, and we ought to be grateful and give honor and glory and praise 
to the Lord, because when you believe that it is impossible to outgive God, there will be times that you'll try. Like I remember a time when I felt the Lord lay on my heart for Katie and I to give something sacrificial to ARC, which is the church plant network that we are a part of now that helped us plant our church. We were coming up on our seventh year at Rock City, and I felt like it would be really cool if our church could give a $70,000 offering to ARC to help plant new churches, 70000 for our seventh year. And as I was lying in bed the night before we would give that offering on behalf of our church, I felt like the Lord whispered something kind of convicting to my heart. And what I heard him say to me is, don't think that you're being generous just because you represent a generous church. Like that's not your check that you're writing. And just so you know, I don't even write checks, nor do I sign checks. I don't even have that privilege in the church. Don't think you're being generous just because the church that you pastor is generous. Don't hide behind a generous church. And I was convicted and I woke my wife up and I said, hey, can, can I talk to you? I feel like we need to give something sacrificial. We talked about it. I told her the number that was on my heart and, and I said, can we do it? And she said, we can, but we're going to have to say no to some things. It's kind of going to like empty us out. We have some plans and I just don't want to hear you complain about the fact that we can't do what we've been planning to do. And I said, why would I complain? We started fighting about giving because my wife assumed that I'd get angry at some point. Where's that new couch at? I thought we were going to buy a new couch. Well, I told you not to complain. We gave an offering to plant churches and we gave the offering and forgot about the couch. We forgot about the things that we'd been saving up hard for. And a year later, almost to the exact day, the Lord did something in our life, just an unexpected blessing in our life, reminded us of the sacrifice we'd made a year before. And allowed us to do everything that we planned to do. Did we have to wait a year for it? We did. But did he overwhelm us with an incredible blessing that I will always look back to for as long as I live? I'm going to tell my kids about it. I'm going to tell my grandkids about it. I hope to be able to tell my great grandkids about it. You cannot outgive God. And if you think you can, go ahead and try. And he's going to prove you wrong. I just know this because I've lived it, I'm living it, I've experienced it. And in Luke 16, Jesus says something else, a little hard for us to hear. Whoever can be trusted with little will be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with little will be dishonest with much. And if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? So really, it's not a, even a question of how much can I give. It's really a question of how much can the Lord trust me with? How much? I'm going to close with one more barn story in Luke chapter 12. Jesus is telling a different kind of story about barns. And the man who owns this barn has yielded an incredible harvest. And he thinks to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said to himself, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones. There I'll store up my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you've got plenty stored up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? 
This is how it will be. Not, not might be, not maybe will be, not for some of you. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. It's not that God is against wealth. It's not that God is against us having nice things. He's not. It's about the condition of our heart. Do we have full barns so that we alone can be fed? Or do we have full barns so that we can use what God has given us to not only feed ourselves, but to feed some people around us? The barns that we fill this time of year through our year-end legacy offering, which is December 10th this year, the barns that we fill through this year-end legacy offering, a once-a-year year-end offering, where we ask everybody in our church to set aside something sacrificial and generous to give toward our year-end legacy offering, our year-end legacy vision. These barns are full so that we can do all the things that we believe the Lord has laid on our heart to do in the new year. We ask the Lord every year, what more for the new year? What is your what's more vision for the church? And he gives us the what's more vision, but it's only vision. Until enough people in the church decide we want to get behind the vision with the provision that God has given to us and we're going to fuel this thing. It, it just stays vision unless the church is willing to fuel it, to fund it. And so this year-end legacy offering that we're receiving together, all bringing our offering together on December 10th, will, will fill the barn for 2024 so that we can do some absolutely incredible things. Four lanes in our legacy vision. Some of you, you'll have a heart for one of these lanes and you'll say, hey, here's my legacy offering and I want it to go to specifically this part of the legacy vision right here. Most of us will just give a legacy offering and, and it can go to whatever part of the offering it needs to go to, whatever part of the vision. But there are four lanes to our year-end legacy vision. The first lane is reaching the unchurched the unreached. It's how we were through last year's legacy offering able to increase our support of pastors overseas to 120 pastors. And I'm just wondering how many more pastors can we support in 2024? Like the ones that I, I shared with you about just a few moments ago, we were able to translate the gospel of Luke into two languages that have no part of the gospel translated into their language we did two of those last year, one in Oman, one in Pakistan, two, two different people groups that have no access to the gospel. How many more translations can we fund? We have a partner, a global partner that will match dollar for dollar our funds that go to translating this. So for uh, from us, it costs $25,000 for a translation. They then give $25,050. We'll do the whole thing, one translation. When I asked Pastor Benny, as I was with him, Pastor Benny, what's your greatest need? He said, Pastor Chad, where we're planting churches right now through the pastors at Rock City supporting, we're seeing just an incredible revival. And what we don't have is we don't have Bibles. And what we need are 50,000 Bibles. I said, well, how much is a Bible, Benny? He said, $5. I did the math. That's $250,000. Well, Maybe what is sacrificial and generous 
for you is that you would set aside $5 every week. Maybe you set aside $5 five times and maybe your legacy offering is $25 and that is sacrificial. It would near bring you to your knees to give that, but you're giving five Bibles to a pastor to give to a brand new convert. Or maybe there's somebody watching online or on television, or you're sitting in a room and you'd say, I want to buy all 50,000 Bibles. Why, why 50,000? Let's buy a hundred thousand. Let, let's stock them up. Not just for 2024, but for 2025, your vision's too small. What will we do? What's our response Do our local outreach lane? Adding prison locations last year, we added three. How many more might we add in the new year? Expanding the reach of the Columbus Dream Center. Last year, we were able to uh, open a, a free medical clinic at our Hilliard Dream Center, a free legal clinic at our Delaware Dream Center, a, a brand new ministry to senior citizens. How much more might we do in 2024 through the outreach arm of our church, the local outreach arm of our church, which is, is the Columbus Dream Center? through our generosity this year's end. Through our disaster response and church planting lane, we planted 47 churches last year. We responded to dozens and dozens of disasters all around the world, and our year-end legacy offering fills the barn so that when you see disaster strike and you're reading about it on your phone, because that's where we get our news now, you don't even have to wonder, is our church responding? We're already responding because we're ready. We're not coming to you every time disaster strikes and saying, will you give now? Will you give now? We give it years in. We fill the barn. It prepares us to respond no matter what the need is. And it will help us to plant so many more life-giving churches all across the United States and around the world. And then our Rock City expansion lane is, is this. This year, we need to finish our Polaris expansion we need to finish our Polaris project, and, and we're seeing the Lord. It sure seems like it's the Lord. He's going to have to stop us dead in our tracks if it's not the Lord, but it, it sure seems like he's given us opportunity to launch some new Rock City locations in the, in the new year, and I, I can't wait to be able to talk about some of these opportunities more in detail, but I'm just telling you, it's coming. Polaris alone is a multi-million dollar project that we still, we still have not finished. We need to finish it. I trust that we will finish it. This year-end legacy offering is going to help us bring that thing to its finish. And so between now and December 10th, all I'm asking you to do is to pray, ask the Lord, would you have me participate? And if you hear from the Lord, yeah, I think I would like for that to be the case? Isn't that how the Lord must think of us sometimes? Lord, do you want me to be a part of this? Yeah, I think it might be a good idea. I don't know why not. Did you enjoy the service? Do you love the church? Do you love me? Because if you love me, you love what I love and who I love, and you'll do what I tell you to do. So, all right, Lord, what would you have me do? Just listen, and he'll tell you. He'll tell you what to do. And then set it aside, and on December 10th, we're going to fill the barn 2024, and I pray that we will accomplish all the new vision that God has laid on our heart to accomplish. Amen? Are you ready?
Anybody love the Lord? Come on. Make some noise if you love Jesus. Anybody? Anybody love the church? Anybody love the church of Jesus? Because he loves the church. How awkward will it be to get to heaven and say, I love you, Lord, but I didn't love your church. And he's like, you don't love my bride? I love my bride. Would you bow your head and pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word today. Thank you for your heart for us, your provision through this house, the blessing you continue to pour out. It is mind-blowing what we, through you, have been able to accomplish in 12 years. It's mind-stretching. The vision that you're laying on our heart to chase in 2024. That you are able to do immeasurably more than we can comprehend in our minds. So we ask you to provide through us for all the work that you're calling us to accomplish. I pray right now, God, for those who are in this room, in any of our rooms, or watching from a distance who don't know you. Because the greatest gift of all is salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave generously his one and only son. That whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so God, we, we trust you for our salvation. And if there is a single person here today or watching right now who does not know you, who is not sure that they have been forgiven, I'm going to ask you to pray with me this prayer and you will be forgiven. You will be saved. Just say, Jesus, here I am. I trust you as Lord and Savior of my life. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me from the inside out and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I receive salvation from you now. I choose to follow you. And as I do to make a difference for you, I want to make heaven full. Would you use my life and everything in it to do just that? In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Come on, one more time. Would you make some noise for Jesus? Could we honor him together?